unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast. And we've got a continuation. We had a fantastic episode last time. And luckily, our guest decided to come back on and spill some more of his knowledge on. So, you know, before we, before we jump into it, I, I messed up. I got to introduce the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today? <laughs> I'm great, Nathan. And that's okay. This show really is about Ken. And if you guys remember from last week, um, he really is maybe the internet copywriting pioneer, the real one. And he learned his craft in direct mail, as a lot of the founders in this business always have from back to 1905 and Claude Hopkins. Ken's not that old, <laughs> not old at all. But anyway, uh, Ken's back with us. And we, we spent a lot of time last week talking about history. This time, I think, Ken, you said you'd like to, to share a, a lot of fundamentals and some ideas and some insights about copywriting itself. Yes? Absolutely. Yep. Great. Well, thanks for returning, first of all. And secondly, um, just a friendly reminder to everyone who hasn't heard this before. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. But most of the time, common sense is all you need. If you make extreme claims or if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health and finance and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. Now, Ken, um, one of the things you told me when we were preparing for this second episode is that there are some blocking and tackling things, as you called them, metaphorically, about copy that um, just don't seem to get covered these days. I'd love to hear your thoughts on those and what, what they are. Great. Well, you mentioned Claude Hopkins earlier, and one of the I think one of the great great lessons of Claude Hopkins, and this is not done by internet copywriters, and even a lot of some print copywriters didn't do it either. Um, he was very big on spend a lot of time talking to real prospects for the product before you even dream of sitting down to write a sales letter. And um, I know Gary Halbert uh, was big on that, you know, the, the value of talking to real people. There's some colleagues of mine in England who are, uh, they're, they're two of the top high-tech marketers in the universe. They know every tool and, and every trick in the book. They know how to track your eyes while you're reading their pages and they know all this stuff. And their favorite method for when they take on a new client client, they go to a flea market, <laughs> they set up a card table, they put the product on it, and they talk to people all day about the product. And that's, they, they think that's one of the best ways you can go. So that's lesson number one. Do not tr try, <laughs> do not try uh, to write copy in a vacuum. Um, do everything you can to get in front of people who are actual prospects for the product or users of the product too. That's another way to go. Yeah. Um, Ken, let me, let me stop you and underline that. That's so important. It's something I've always done 
I I know on on the letters I've done I've written it for clients that have made over a million, even well over a million dollars. I I did that first. And when I'm talking to copywriters these days, it stuns me that they don't think of doing this automatically and that people are reluctant to do it and sometimes think they don't need to because they've got some abstract idea of their quote unquote really hate this use of the word avatar uh, right <laughs> I, could, could we take that word uh, uh, tie it to a, a cement block and throw it in the in the in the river i i i despise that word but we you know there if you remember in san francisco right at the very southwestern end there's a sewage treatment plant um, the city's so liberal that they tried to get it named after george bush they tried to get it named the the bush Sewage. It's, they never that never happened, but we can we can send it there. Yeah, I don't like it either. Yeah, yeah I. Uh, uh, thank you for saying that. I, I I don't think I've ever heard anybody else just come out and say it. Uh, it's is it, I don't think it's real helpful. And and you, you use a great word too, abstraction. There is nothing abstract about what we do. That's true. <laughs> this, is the, this is the least. Well, I'm not going to say it's the least abstract profession, but to me, we are we are on on the same level. And, and I say it proudly uh, for, for both parties. We're on the same level as plumbers, as electricians, as craftsmen that go in and do the careful wiring and the careful soldering and make sure that everything's lined up the way it's supposed to be and there's no leaks and there's no frayed wires and that whole and when you so that when you turn the juice on the house doesn't burn down that's a, those guys have a very serious job and the plumbers have a very important job too when you flush that toilet if you want it to go you know you don't want it to come back up and and that's the level of reality that we're dealing with. There's no theory in anything we do, in my opinion. We're, we're selling things, you know, yeah. which means there are people, and these people have uh, attitudes and experiences and needs and interests and desires, and we better know those things inside and out. Well, we, you know. let's, let's talk about that. Do you have advice on what kind of conversations to have with prospects or existing customers or what kind of questions to ask them? That's a good question. Um, I would try to sell them it and see what happens. Like, yeah. that's what these guys would do at the, at the flea market. They, they would chat with people, you know, cause it's a, it's a social environment, but then they would go into and their goal into their mode of selling and their goal was to get the person to buy the thing. Um, so a, a great test is just, you know, answering questions is the beginning because that's when you find out, okay, what's the confusion? What's, what are, where are the doubts? Um, I had a business way back previous to the real estate finance thing in the 80s. I was a young guy living in San Francisco, in New York City at the time. And um, in fact, I'm looking at my office. My home office is not huge. It's I got a lot of elbow room. It's not small. But my Entire apartment in New York City was one third the size of my home office. So my whole <laughs> life, my whole life was lived in a space that was bigger than a closet, but not much. Yeah, and I was, and I was, I was in the. I was not eating regularly. I mean, it was a rough, rough, rough time. And I was doing direct mail then, uh, and my direct mail worked this way. And, and this is going to all come to a point in a second. I would put up flyers. People would call me. 
uh, in the course of the conversation of me answering their questions and telling them about, you know, what I could do for them and when the next class was and so on and so forth, I'd get their mailing address. I'd add that to my little database and then I would send them a letter. Uh, I didn't even know it was a sales letter at the time, but I tried to write that letter as persuasively as I possibly could so that they would come to my classes. I was teaching speed reading and study skills. Uh, that's what was my business. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, what I did, so what I was doing was running an, an ad to get people to call. And then when they called, I would just talk with them. So I didn't, I didn't have necessarily a set line of questions for them to learn. I was giving them an opportunity to ask me questions about the product that I was offering them, you know, and, and by the nature of their questions, I would understand, oh, they're confused about this or, or they're suspicious of this, or, um, there's something that they don't understand or, oh, gee, I better put this in my next letter because everybody's asking the same question. So really good natural, I guess I would say lots and lots and lots and lots of natural conversations. Yeah. Um, do, do you remember as specific of something about your speed reading course or, or study course that you thought was obvious, you know, cur- you know, curse of knowledge thing you thought was obvious in, in your flyer. And they said, what is that? What does that mean? And, and how you changed it? I, I know that's drilling down like 40 some years ago. But. <laughs> it, it's getting a long time ago. But one of the things I learned, and, and what's weird is I discovered all this stuff independently um, by doing it and then later read books about it and said, oh, my God, this is a thing. <laughs> people do this for a living. I didn't realize that. So I realized that a lot of people were fearful that they were going to take the course and it wasn't going to work for them. And I knew the course was going to work. And so I said, well, look, here's the deal. If you take the, if you go through all five classes and at the end of the fifth class, you, it's just not working for you, I will refund your money in full. Um, now, this wasn't a strategy. It wasn't a plan. It wasn't a, a tactic. It, it, was, it was solving a problem. And it was also doing what I, I just felt was right. You know, I, I didn't want people to be fearful in the class because you can't learn when you're afraid. Um, and, and I also felt like, well, I mean, I'm supposed to be a good teacher. If somebody comes to five classes and they can't, they're not making any improvement, then I, then I screwed up it, it, it's, and, and they should get a refund. So that was the, that was probably, a, a, that was the biggest aha from, from conversations was just the natural fear people have. Uh, okay. That's, that's really interesting. So a lot of people come into copywriting now, they're smart. Maybe they've studied books. Maybe they've hand copied a lot of letters. They say, okay, I'm going to check all the boxes. Now I'm ready to go. Now I know what to do. But what you found out, I want to point this out to everyone listening. Obviously, you know it, but um, maybe people don't. You found out through the experience, through the physical interaction, through your own fear at the time of losing the sale, maybe through your empathic understanding of their fear of wasting their money. Yes. And so you learned it at a different level than a checklist and hand copying letters and reading all the books and going to seminars and getting a certification from somebody that you are a copywriter or whatever these clowns out there are doing today. Uh, Absolutely. And remember, there were no there were no classes <laughs> in the 80s. There was no certification. There, there, I mean, there was Robert Bly's book. And I wanted to shout out to Robert Bly. I want to make sure I do that. 
Yeah. I just I first heard the word copywriter and realized there was a thing called being <laughs> a copywriter thanks to Robert Bly's book. And it he was one of the only guys writing for the public on the subject. It was an insider's thing. It was a it was an industry thing. It wasn't mm-hmm. for the public to know this stuff. You, you, he's written about eighty books, so you mean the copywriter's handbook, right? I, yeah. That was one of my first ones too. Oh, you're too. Okay. Yeah. And I was like, you mean I could actually do this for a living? <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> and that then guys who were listening, that was it. That was, he Robert was the only Bob was the only resource for the public. And if you were inside a shop or you're in an agency, oh then then you would have heard about copywriting, you would have been exposed to certain things and you know, but if you were a guy just out there on your own trying to figure this out, there were no guidelines. There was no help <laughs> which which weirdly enough was a help because sometimes when you have to figure it out yourself you really figure it out that's yeah that's another point and um boy it's not fun a lot of times uh at least for me i mean i'm impatient and when i run into frustration after frustration you know i want to throw something or start crying or or you know harm a small animal no animals <laughs> were harmed in this podcast uh, you know um and so, yeah, give, give us an, this is, this is great stuff. And you're right. No one's talking about this anymore. And I feel uh, remiss in not talking about it, but I'm glad you're talking about it. So please continue. Well, let, let's talk about the issue of, of craft and, 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 and the, I once heard this, this definition for genius, right? And genius is the willingness to take infinite pains. Yep. Um, <laughs> you know, so none of us are geniuses. I mean, I guarantee uh, I was not, you know, I wasn't born this way, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. but I, I pretty much guarantee, I, I can guarantee when I came out, I, I wasn't even speaking uh, and I didn't even know what language was. Uh, so anything that I'm doing was learned along the way, right? right. So I, I reject, I mean, there are people that work harder than other people. I, I, I just reject this notion of genius that there's this free floating, just, I think it's bullshit. I think when you see somebody that's doing something well, you're seeing somebody who works his ass off on that topic. Yep. <laughs> he, he may be a complete disaster in every other aspect of his life. <laughs> a lot of geniuses, so-called geniuses are, yeah. Yeah. And so this, this idea of taking infinite pains, which is the essence of craftsmanship. And what does it mean? It means if you're working on something, could be a sales letter. It could be renovating a house. Uh, it could be building a garden, whatever that thing is, that you don't look at the clock you don't count the days. You don't think about how, I mean, sometimes you think about how hard it is, you know, your back hurts or whatever, but you're just doing what has to be done and that's it. Like nothing else on earth matters. That's craftsmanship. And that's why certain things are, are magnificent because somebody just did not stop until everything was perfected as perfected as it could be, you know, in this world. Uh, and that's something I, I, I feel that you've got to have if you're going to be a copywriter. You have to have that for writing copy. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, we're all impatient. We all want to, but, but I bet, I'm sure, David, that when you're into it, you are going to get it right. You're going to keep at it. You're going to keep Well, there, there, there's two pieces to it. The first is I totally agree with you. The second thing is you, you're not you're not limiting yourself. You're not saying, well, I'm, I'm going to give this two hours because that's all it's worth. You're going to say, I'm going to do this until it's done. But as you really get into the flow, time disappears. Mm-hmm. I've, I've had that happen 
um, with copy and with other things, sometimes with uh, mixing, producing music. I, you know, I, I look up the clock because I don't even know what day it is. You know, really, you can go into this altered space. And the same thing with writing. When I'm really into writing, man, I don't know where I am. I don't know what day it is, what month it is, what time it is. Sometimes I guess you could call it going into the flow or alpha state or trance or whatever you want to call it. But it's, it's not, you know, going there like you're on some wild ride of, of abandon. It's like you are focused on getting it as good as it can be and going back again and again and again until it's, like you say, as perfect as possible. And a lot of people don't get that. Um, a lot of people don't talk about it. Now, there are people who do it who don't really talk about it. You know, there you know, sometimes you, you might not want Joe Namath, uh, reference for us old-timers, you know, to be, <laughs> to be the football coach. You want it to be the quarterback, right? Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, great point. Uh, I'm very excited about that. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, so I would say to anybody, whatever, whatever, whoever you are, whatever you're trying to accomplish, you know, you got to find that thing where you. It is work, and it is it is hours, but that you have the ability to give yourself over to the work of whatever it is. And if you've got, if you have that, you have a chance, <laughs> you know, yeah. but if, if you're going into a field where you think you can just, uh, you know, what do they call it, call it in, you know, mm -hmm. um, you can't call it in, especially, I mean, you can't call it in in music for sure. Uh, and you, you definitely can't call it in, in copywriting. You got to, it's something where you have to give it your all. And so, you know, if you don't have that natural affinity towards that way of working in this space, it may not be the right field for you. But it, now on the, on the positive side, if you're, you know, if you're able to and willing to, you know, take infinite pains, uh, then, then you've got something. I, I think people underestimate how hard a, a serious copywriter works. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, and I, 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 for some reason I'm referring to Gary Halbert a lot, but I mean, I know from what I've been told and, and heard that he really worked hard on those simple letters he wrote. He didn't dash them off. You know, when you see him on stage or when you see videos of him on stage, he just seems like he's sort of stream of consciousness and it all is flowing easily. Uh, I guarantee that all that stuff was very, very well prepared and very, 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 very well thought out. He, he had a great saying that I, I always, I, I love to share with everybody, that um, a sale is a fragile thing. And a copywriter knows a good copywriter knows that knows that you could easily take a wrong step <laughs> at any point and blow your sales letter right up and then this is this is a a place where music and copywriting really come together when you hear a piece of music assuming it's tonal you know if it's atonal and you know shrieking <laughs> saxophones that's a whole other world i you know but but the music that most people want to listen to people know when there's one wrong note yep People know when, you know, one instrument is out of sync. I mean, they know instantly. Like, they don't need a, a degree in musicology to know there's a mistake. And there's that same level of fragility uh, in copywriting. Uh, and and, and uh, if, you do, if you're not aware of that as a copywriter, you're missing a very important thing. Everything's got to have its place. Everything has to have a reason for being there. Everything has to have solid ground underneath it. You can't make a, a, a big-eyed, wild-eyed claim that you don't, don't then support very thoroughly.
Yeah. Uh, you know, th- there's a lot of freedom and creativity in copywriting, but there are some some fundamental rules. And one is you don't bore people. <laughs> right. Two, you don't tell them stuff that has no re- re- relevance. And and three, if you make a big claim, you better make sure it's bulletproof backed up in your copy. And it's so easy <laughs> to make a misstep and a sale is a very fragile thing. You could be going along beautifully and start going into some line of bullshit and you, they just, you just lost them. And uh, this is something, by the way, it would help copywriters to do some face-to-face selling. Just oh, yeah. get us job. It doesn't even have to be something s- s- elaborate or fantastical. It's, you know, just where your people are coming to you and you're talking to them normally. You know, if you and I'm going to use Gary again. If you read Gary Halbert's copy, and because he was a door-to-door salesman for years, you know, selling mm-hmm. encyclopedias. Um, there's no fluff. There's no wild-eyed, hand-wringing, waving going on. It is very pure, clean, straight language. Hey, you'd appreciate this, David. I found the follow-up letter to um, uh, when I sat down to play the piano. They laughed. You know, the joke. Yeah. The the pros know (laughs) that, yes, that's that's an ad worth studying, but the pros know that that's a lead generation ad. That's not the ad for the product. It's the ad. Right. You know, there right. was a letter <laughs> that Caples wrote that came after you re- responded to the ad. And I've got that letter. And man, this thing is the simplest, clearest, cleanest, no hype English you've ever read. Oh, that's it, interesting. Yeah. I mean, it is clean. <laughs> and, and a lot of people have this, this mistaken notion that we're trying to be clever. Um, we're trying to be, uh, you know, l- literary. <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to use words with great skill. I mean, yes, we are trying to wor- use words with great skill, but uh, I think Gary Bensavenga said this, or if he didn't, he, he should have, um, but I think he did. Uh, it's a it's an iron fist, but in a velvet glove. You know, mm-hmm. we're very intent on what we're doing with this letter, but the glove is velvet. It's yeah, I, I think that's a good point. And I wanted to um, refer back to something you said a, a few minutes ago about um, taking infinite pains. What you're saying, well, it certainly reminds me of my own life and the best mentoring clients I have. And I say best mostly because they're the most successful people. And also they don't whine when it comes time to, Oh, they, they complain like everyone else, but they, they willingly accept all the work that they're, they need to do. I was wondering if um, you've read Stephen Pressfield's book, the war of art, because what you're talking about, even though I think he's talking about other stuff than copywriting, it still applies. I, you know, I don't know that book, but I, but I like, I love the title. Yeah, it's interesting. You might like it. I think the one thing I'm getting at it, what you're saying is so fundamental. And yet uh, we tend not to think about it because everything gets, well, <laughs> you know, everything gets dried out with the internet. You know, human beings are wet. We're largely water. And <laughs> And, you know, the Internet is silicon and electrons and stuff. But, yeah, you need to do all that wet stuff. And I don't don't take that too literally or your mind can go in the gutter. But what, what I mean by wet stuff is talking to people, pressing the flesh, 
um, seeing their eyes get glassy or get squinty, um, you know, hearing them, you know, feeling their their breath come out when they're mad. I mean, really getting in people's faces and having them get in your face to understand the experience of selling something, because that is what you are simulating on your side and on an imaginary other person's side when you're writing copy. Uh, uh, you know, a sales letter is just a, a sales call in print. It, it's a secondary thing to the dynamic of being in front of people and talking with them about your product. It's, it's secondary. And so if you're trying to write copy without doing any of that preliminary work, it's going to be hard to come up with anything good. But once you've done that work, once you know the person not having gone through some kind of rote exercise where you imagine them getting up in the morning and you imagine them having <laughs> orange juice, but you've actually met a person like this or a few of them, you've actually talked to them, you've actually offered this to them and found out what their objections are and what they're excited about. It doesn't make the writing easier, but it's it's a whole different experience. And usually the results are a whole different level higher. Well, you know, so many writers in all fields, copywriting and novel writing and every, they're always, they always talk about writing to a specific, with a specific individual in mind. I mean, think about it. Nobody sits there and talk. I mean, you might talk to yourself. That's fine. Um, you might talk to somebody else, but nobody who talks in general to a non-visual non descript audience. I mean, that, that you can't even do that. You have to have a target in mind for who you're talking to. <laughs> well, I, I, I do have an answer to you. I'm not sure it's the one you were looking for. There, there's, a, there's a homeless guy now who does that a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, right. I mean, but, but you know what? Even that person has, he's got some vision that he's talking to somebody. Okay. Uh, we don't know who it is, but, but so when a, when a fledgling copywriter is trying is writing a sales letter uh, and is not clearly visualizing a target based on what you talk about the wet world of human beings who have questions, doubts, curiosities, suspicions. Uh, it's going to be rough. It's going to be a rough haul. It's going to be hard to write it, and you're probably not going to get a good result. Yeah, um, I, I think one of the things that's that's coming up in my mind now that's important to talk about in a practical way is imagination. And we've talked about it a lot. And I did a whole podcast on um, the mis my, my belief about the misinterpretation of Einstein's statement, imagination is more important than knowledge because it was taken way out of context um, in, in the way I see it. But here it's, we can put blinders on and, and, you know, put four corners around. It's very specific. And that is imagining the other person as though they're sitting in that chair on the table next to you. And what do you say to them and how do they respond? I mean, being able to do that so vividly, not that you're hallucinating, but that you can mock up in your mind how the conversation's going when you can do that really well, that's when you start to improve your consistency rate of hitting winners, don't you think? Absolutely. And, you know, as you say this, I'm, I'm realizing that one of the things that I do is I project a skeptic. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I imagine a 
interested person, obviously they're interested, but I assume they've been burned before. They're skeptical. They, they're tired of bullshit. Um, they are, they're intelligent, but not necessarily super informed, you know? Um, and so I'm talking to a, a person with all those particular characteristics. So as I'm writing my copy, I'm making sure, is this clear? Is this straightforward? Is this simple? Am I backing this up? Am I, am I linking this to reality that they can relate to? Uh, I'm, I'm, I, I'm not expecting a, f- a friendly, easy audience. I'm not expecting a hostile audience, but I'm expecting a normal human being who has seen a lot and hates salesmen, hates being sold. That's, by the way, something else we, need, we have to understand. Nobody wants to be sold. Everybody wants to discover something cool and acquire it um, and have it. <laughs> um, nobody wants to be sold or, or even persuaded. So did you ever get to know Mac Ross, who worked with Jay Abraham? Just by name and, and, and hearing some of his tapes. Okay. So at one conference, so I, I got to know him. He was a mentor of mine for a while. An amazing guy. Unfortunately, passed away uh, maybe 10 years ago. But he did this thing once at one Jay Abraham seminar. Never said it again. And uh, when I brought it up to him, he said, oh, I don't know. <laughs> he, did, he didn't remember. It, it just came to him. But I, I think in terms of what you're talking about, it's one of the most brilliant condensations I've ever heard. He called it the four W's. And he said that this is what's going on in your prospect's mind as they open your letter, start to look at your ad, look at your Facebook ad, look at your webpage. Four W's. Why are you bothering me? Who cares? Why should I believe you? Why should I do anything about it now? And of course, most that, that's, you know, it sounds funny maybe, but that's tough stuff to confront when you're in the, in the space of actually writing, that, that someone is going to be that skeptical, even that hostile. But it's true, too, and I think it's very helpful. What do you think? Uh, that, that's the most valuable thing you could tell a copywriter right there. <laughs> <laughs> have a, that, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not saying that we should envision a hostile world. I mean, that's not what I'm talking about. But, but the, those four questions, that is what's in your prospect's mind. That's what's in your mind, guys. You, when you walk into a store to buy something, you're, you're not all thrilled when the, when the salesman you know, runs across the room with his hand out extended. You, you know, you're already backing off. Right. You know, that, that's part of this is too, just to think about your own mind very carefully and notice your own reactions to things. Uh, you know, you like information. You like being helped. Uh, you like being treated respectfully. <laughs> uh, those are all positive things. You don't like being sold. You don't like being arm twisted. You don't like being lectured to. Um, you don't like being, you don't like having to listen to somebody who thinks they're clever, mm-hmm. right? You, mm-hmm. you don't like any of those things. Your prospects don't like those things. So it's, was funny. And we're all guilty of this. We, we know that about ourselves and then we air and act that way when, when we're in the selling process. Um, I'll, never, I'll never forget this experience I had. I was having this wonderful back and forth, good conversation with a guy I liked, I liked and respected. And then halfway through the, the conversation, um, I guess he figured it was time to do business, and he went into a can, sort of a canned, obviously canned selling protocol on me, and all our all the connection between him and me just died. And I liked the guy, mm-hmm. like, and and I and I feel felt myself not liking him 
once he went into salesman mode, and this was something that, again, I, I don't know why I bring up Gary a lot, but this was something Gary was very, you could never tell when Gary was selling you. He was selling you all the freaking time and you could never tell. You never saw the hook in the bait. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and that's something that we should all aspire to, being interesting, being helpful, uh, informing, uh, and leading, of course, because this is all supposed to lead to an action, uh, but not being Joe Super Pro Salesman, NLP, expert of embedded. Can forget all that crap, <laughs> please. <laughs> I, I remember uh, uh, when I did my first and only sales training, and it was with a guy named Jim Camp, and he was teaching me the Sandler sales system, which I, I still like, although I think it's a little brutal. Um, but uh, <laughs> I think this is like a famous story uh, among sales trainers. This, this guy goes into a prospect's office, and you know the prospect says yes, and he pulls out his uh, iPad or his flip chart or whatever he's got, and he starts to talk, and the prospect goes, all right, I'll buy it. And the guy says, <laughs> Wait, you can't buy it. I haven't finished my presentation yet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, listen, we're going to have to wrap up soon. Do you have one more quick tip? This has been so wonderful, but we got a time limit. Ooh, it's got to be quick. Yeah, so please. I'll pull, I'll pull out a quick one. Okay. Read your copy out loud. <laughs> oh, yeah. A couple of times. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's a quick one. Oh, that was super quick. I, I really appreciate that. Well, Ken, thank you so much. Again, your your website, um, which only recently came into being, is is what? Well, I've had it. I had it up for years, but it was crap. But but the last couple of years, the last couple of months, I, I improved it. KenMcCarthy.com. So it's my name, K E N M C C A R T H Y. dot com. Okay. That's good. I, I've been there. It's it's an amazing site. Just just the things you'll learn about him, about Ken. And Ken, this is incredibly valuable, unique stuff. This is our episode 110th, 111th, 112th, 113th episode. Things things we've heard before and things we haven't heard before. And a real real pleasure and honor to have you on. So thank you for doing this. Well, thanks for asking me and what a pleasure to be on the call, really. Awesome. Great episode. Thank you, David. Thank you, Ken. Head on over to KenMcCarthy.com. And if you want to get more of your Copywriters Podcast fix, check out CopywritersPodcast.com. Until next time, we'll catch you later. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes so you never miss an episode. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.